Welcome to Fun is Fundamental. Fun is Fundamental is a podcast for those who realize that the enjoyment of life is about having something deep in our souls which lights our fire. It's for those who maybe have lost that fire and feel like they are missing out on the pleasures of life. In each episode, I will share recent fun activities and focus on why having fun is essential for good health. I'm your host, Alenia, and I invite you to take this journey with me and join the pleasure-seeking movement. Good evening, afternoon, <laughs> Marie. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are, how are you going? I'm doing. I'm doing well. Yeah. I'm. Uh, it's yeah. It's it's definitely evening here. It's like it's like eight thirty at night. <laughs> oh, perfect. It's yeah. yeah. It's afternoon here in Sydney. <laughs> it's like three thirty so in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tell us about loving life after loss is what 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 do you do yeah so i focus on offering a brighter future for people who have experienced loss and i'm really here to challenge the narrative of grief that society offers i have experienced uh, a couple of quite significant losses in my life i've lost all three significant father figures in my life my dad when i was about 20 my husband uh, when I was 45 and then last year my beautiful father-in-law passed away where we were all in the room together so and I've lost a few other people along the way but these were the definitely three most significant ones and I have handled all three of them so differently and definitely not in the best way when it came to my dad because I had not learned how to handle grief and this is something that society doesn't really offer or doesn't really know how to teach us. There are some expectations around how we handle grief that are very unhealthy for us, that are very sort of um, end of the road rather than, you know, this is a redirection of your path. There's a very different perspective that I offer in my journey. And I just really um, wanted to provide this focus of, loving life after loss because we truly can so this is pretty much in a nutshell what I can offer you and I'm sure we go into a bit more detail oh yeah definitely Mm -hmm. I mean I feel like generally people we as a society we have such a problem with death that it's Mm -hmm. really not a surprise a surprise that we have a problem like discussing grief because yeah in order to discuss grief you have to be able to talk about death and as a society that's hard for us yeah it still still feels like a very confronting topic for most people because it sort of confronts them with their own mortality but uh you know death is just as much part of life as is birth and uh, it is really yeah something we need to talk about in a more open and embracing sort of manner Mm -hmm. definitely take the fear out of it yeah yeah how how did you start how did you start loving life after loss Mm. i believe that actually started before my husband passed i remember rob um, was home late from work one day there was an accident on the way home and he rang me from the car and he said babe He's called Road is closed. I'm going to be, you know, about two hours late. He's called Road was his normal way home from work. And it's a sort of 
no way out kind of road. It goes all the way through the national park. And if there's an accident, it, it means like a roughly two hour detour. It's quite inconvenient for people who are stuck on the road. But as much as a two hour inconvenience is a you'll get over it sort of scenario for one family, it meant that her young husband never made it home. There was a fatal car crash on Heathcote Road that day. And I still remember when Rob came home that night, we sat on our bed and we had this conversation about the what if, you know, and how life can be ended so quickly without any pre-warning. And I remember our conversation so vividly because um, there was actually a lot of love and connection in that conversation. And it ended something along those lines that we, we were saying to each other, if anything was ever to happen to you, I want you, or to me in that case, I would want you to create the happiest life possible for you and the boys. That that was our go-to when it came to the what-if conversation. Something was to happen to me, I want you to be happy. That, that was the simplicity of it because love is simple. Love just wants you to be happy. Mm-hmm. And... Um, there was a lot of love and connection between Rob and I. So it was just natural that's, that that's what we wanted for each other in the what if. But, you know, that was still theory for us, that conversation. We never thought that that would happen to us. And that's exactly the point. Nobody ever thinks it would happen to you. Mm-hmm. You don't think that that happens to you, especially not in a prime of your lives. Rob and I, we thought we'd be like that uh, couple of the retirement brochures, you know, holding it hands and walking the beach in white linen you know at the age of 60 70 80 whatever um that that was our vision of our future you know that's we always thought that would be us but um yeah life had a different a different ending for us or a different um path for us let me put it that way Mm -hmm. and when I received those news when I received that phone call that dad uh, that dad had passed, oh, my God, I'm saying dad now. I was just thinking of my boys and I was saying dad had passed. You know, uh, when I received that phone call that Rob had passed and I had to share that with the boys, I remember the moment when I hugged them and we all cried together. I had this, this voice of Rob in my in my head, create the happiest life possible for you and the boys. But that was my... I knew that was my go-to. I had no idea how to get there in that moment, but I knew that that's what I had to do. So mm-hmm. it became my North Star, my lighthouse, so to say, in the in the darkness. And that's what I walked towards without knowing the path how to get there. Yeah. Yeah, it's really shocking to have someone pass at such a young age. Um, yeah. Sorry that you and your family went through that. How long Thank you. How long would you say it took for Obviously you don't ever heal completely from that kind of profound I don't grief. agree with that. No. I don't agree with that. I think okay. you do. That that's exactly my mission to mm-hmm show the world that it is possible to heal from grief. It is possible to heal from any adversity. And it doesn't mean that you wouldn't have flashbacks every now and then, that you wouldn't have memories every now and then. But, um, you know, that doesn't mean 
that you can't heal from it. And for me today, it's been close to five years now, and for me, I treat grief like a visitor. Every now and then it knocks on the door, it comes in, it brings a memory, I sit with it, I allow it in, I might even sit and cry with it, and then I say goodbye and I let it leave again because it's not going to move in. It's not a permanent residence in my home, you know. It's uh, I don't treat it like a resident, I treat it like a visitor. And to me that is a very conscious choice because I know what I want in my life. And I know what I want for the boys. And it is exactly what Rob and I had wanted for either of us, you know. So I put my whole focus into creating happiness every day. It's something that we can all work on, no matter if you have experienced adversity or not. That's not um, the indicator if we can create more happiness in our lives. The indicator is, do you decide? Do you want that? Do you choose do you allow it in? Do you have the intention to do that? That's all things that we can change, that we can control, that we can direct or redirect. So a lot of people fall into, into poor me, into victimhood, into um, helplessness, and I'm not... I'm not judging them for that at all. It is a very normal response. It is our choice whether we stay there or how we respond to that if we make different choices in life. And they start with little things every single day, like getting out of bed or making food or going for a walk, you know, little things, step by step, breath by breath if it has to be. But it starts with that. It starts with a, do I want to heal? Yes, I do. <laughs> Absolutely do I want to heal. Do I want to stay there? No, it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Many people stay there because that's what society has taught us. This is the best way to show how much you loved your husband if you just show the world how sad you are. Well, mm -hmm. Rob and I looked at it differently. I think I can show the world how much I loved Rob by continuing the love and connection and the joy that we had created in our lives. You know, I'm continuing that in his honour and for our boys. There's a lot of love in my decision to continue that, not disrespect towards Rob. Yeah. Um, how would you, so how was your your process different when uh Rob passed as opposed to like your father because you had mentioned earlier that yeah. it was a very different experience it was predominantly the mindset really because when my dad died I was still very much in victimhood I grew up in that behavior because that's what I have learned in my childhood there was a lot of poor me behavior in my family in um yeah, even in my extended family, I learned a lot of that. And it took me till I was about 30 to recognize it or very uncomfortable. But, you know, as soon as I saw it, I couldn't look away anymore. I'm like, I don't like that behavior. I need to change this for myself. And it took quite a few years, I'd say probably even a, a good decade to really, really work through my mindset, shifting my focus on things like that. And I actually loved it so much and I went down that path of mindset and mindset work that I started working 
with that as well. So I did my coaching training. I'm trained in NLP and hypnotherapy and time on therapy. I, I very much focused on changing my mindset. And my husband was also very much a, you know, two choices, babe. <laughs> you know, that was his, his go-to. You've got two choices, babe. You know, do you focus on the positive or the negative? And I love that he was like that. And so he was very supportive of my coaching journey and of my training there as well and definitely played a huge part in um, looking at life through a different lens, through a lens of positivity and love and connection. That was that was always us, love and connection. Oh, our whole life was about that. So me working with that and working on that probably gave me the best the best position ever to be able to cope with Rob's passing. So in a very bizarre way, life has prepared me for dealing with what was to come without me knowing that. And um, when Rob passed, I knew I had choices to make every single moment. There were choices to be made. Was it easy? No, not at all. Was it simple? Yes, 100%. There were simple choices, but it doesn't mean that they were easy, not at all. It was just the, you know, it's like a very rusty, heavy vehicle, but once you get it moving and it's moving in the right direction, um, you don't want to stop that anymore. <laughs> you know, it's really, yeah, I just knew um, that that's where we wanted to be. I wanted our boys to have a beautiful and happy life. Mm-hmm. So you talked about first that uh, you you wrote the book for first. Is that yeah. correct? Yes, correct. Yeah. So about four months after Rob died, I had this really deep uh, urge to write about our story. I wanted the world to know about Rob. And I also wanted the world to know about our very different approach to grief and our different perspective on it. Um, because I felt if I could only help a couple of people and give them hope that there is a different way of dealing with somebody's passing, somebody who's so close to you, then I'd love to write that down. And it was also a bit of a, a love legacy for Rob, you know, to talk about him, how we met, how I fell in love with him, how we had our beautiful, beautiful barefoot wedding at the beach and, you know, our two boys. I, I wrote about all of that, but then also how Rob passed and how we dealt with it. I shared all of it and what I didn't expect was the book not only to be a number one bestseller on Amazon but it reached the top 100 in Australia and that's when I realized I had to do something with this it was so much more than just a story it was way bigger than just us and that gave me the idea that's really what planted the seed to what very quickly became a global movement. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was uh, clear that other people needed what you had to say. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's good yeah. that you followed followed that. Yeah, you thank know, you. The breadcrumb. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what 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 do you do with uh, like what programs do you how do you work with people now? Yeah. So when I opened the doors to Loving Love After Loss, I started uh, just, first of all, I just started just holding space for people, just creating a space where they could talk about it and where I could nudge them very gently into a positive direction. In most grief groups or grief 
support groups, I put the word support on a huge quotation marks here. Um, the focus is on the grief, on the loss, on the wallowing, on the sorrow, on the pain, on the frustration, on the it'll never get better, there'll always be a hole in my heart, all of that. And if I spend only five minutes in a group like that, it's such a drag me down. It really zaps my energy. It it makes me feel so much heavier. When I look at our group, there is hope, there is healing, there is love, there is support, there is holding space, there is have you tried this, there is I hear you, there is a validating of your emotion but not leaving you in that pain. And I realised quite quickly that that's exactly the path I needed to go. So I started creating healing journeys, healing programs, and then we had our first retreat. And even in the first year when I started it, uh, we opened the doors in March and in November I ran the first, first retreat and uh, it sold out straight away. And it was just so beautiful. Like uh, I've been running retreats ever since. We've got the next one coming up in May now and then one in October it's just so incredibly beautiful because at the retreat it is such a turnaround it is such a deep and sacred transformation people come and leave with such a different mindset such a different perspective on grief and it is one that really opens up a brighter path to their future where they might have not even seen a future before and I don't say that lightheartedly. We really do have a 100% success rate with the people who come to the retreat because this is what we do. This is this is all I do these days. It has become my absolute calling, my mission, my, yeah, this is what I do for a living. I help people heal through grief because I do know that it's possible. We've lived it. I'm the living proof. Um, what would you say is probably the biggest challenge that often shows up for people to be able to Mm. you know move forward I think the biggest challenge is um I don't know for the lack of better words how much they have been brainwashed by society that it is not possible and that it will have to stay with you forever and it's almost like um it's almost like being diagnosed with a disease that will stay with you forever. People just use very debilitating language in grief. You know, the, there'll always be a hole in my heart. I, I don't use language like that. I mm. feel a difference when you say there'll always be a hole in my heart or when you say there'll always be a space in my heart for Rob. Do you know what I mean? There is such a difference. You can feel it already. When I say there'll always be a place in my heart for Rob, it makes me smile. When I think about I'll always be a hole in my heart, there's like, you know, everything's just falling through. There's nothing, um, yeah, there's nothing holding the hope. There's no space for hope. Like I'd rather have a space in my heart for rock than a hole in my heart, you know. um, I know that people sort of mean the same thing, but they're saying two completely polar opposite things. And we have to just learn to use different language around grief, really. That is one of the biggest things that I talk about a lot. Yeah. What would what do you think is what's your favorite part about helping other people through this? Just seeing how they come out on the other side, you know, seeing when that shift happens within them. It's almost like somebody switched on a light. You see that there's brightness coming out, that there is hope coming out, that there is a 
oh, wow, I do have a life ahead of me. You know, I heard people even say those exact words at the retreat, where it's like before they, they couldn't see um, that there was any path for them. There was just, you know, hopelessness and despair and all of a sudden and, and loneliness. Loneliness is a really big thing in the world of grief. And to me, there is this, uh, what would you like to fill your life with? What would you like to be doing? So often people come through something like that and experience like that and then actually go into that space of helping others or just go into a space of working with something really joyful where they are surrounded by that joy every single day. And I have met a lot of people that have found their purpose through coming through that adversity, you know, and to me, there's always, um, once you see that light switch on, that is definitely my favorite part. And then a part, and then there's also, of course, you know, um, I I have just received feedback from people who've been to the September retreat and it's just so beautiful. All of a sudden this message popped up and then everybody come came into the chat. We, we started like a group chat after the retreat and, People was like, oh, you know, I received this and that. And has anybody seen this? And I was like, there was such joy and positivity. And I was like, oh, that's six months after the retreat. And it just really made my day. It was so beautiful. And, yeah, I just love seeing and staying in touch with people after the retreat and seeing how it really has this long-lasting effect in their life, not just three and a half days of, yeah, you know, we can do this high pipe and then they go back into the darkness. I don't like that at all. I like teaching people things that – I've got a long lasting effect that they can keep using tools that they can use every single day or when grief comes to visit every now and then they know what to do. Mm -hmm. During like the pandemic, what, what were like the, how were you trying to help people through it? Cause I'm obviously the pandemic was a yeah. very difficult time for people for mm. many, in many ways, yeah. all the, the the deaths and the yeah not being able to connect with each other yeah I was very lucky that um we literally had the retreat dates booked around the lockdowns interestingly enough I had to move a retreat one retreat I had to move twice actually but it did eventually happen but I also had uh, online programs available and I do still have uh, DIY programs available for people because um, very often when you are sort of new to the world of grief uh, some people just prefer doing things in their own space and they're not quite open to allowing other people into their space so I have created some DIY healing journeys where people can just work through some very simple modules to watch a couple of videos and maybe just start planting the seeds for the work that I do. And um, I've also worked with people one-on-one, -on -one, but the, predominantly it's the, the group work that I find so beautiful because people realize they're not alone in it. They're not the only ones experiencing that. And that includes the joy because people often think, oh, I have to be sad. This is now my life. No, mm -hmm. it's, you know, the world is not just black. It's also white. It's also color. It's There's no uh, just one emotion. Your life's also not always going to be happy. You'll have off days. And, and that works both ways, you know, just, and I'm saying this with, with huge respect because I've been there myself. 
But just because somebody dies in your life doesn't mean that you have to be sad for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And I really am saying that with so much respect and so much love because I lost my dad, my husband, my father-in-law, a really close friend, my grandmother. I've, I've seen so many people pass, yet I have not lost my joy for my life, if that makes sense. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be like that. You'll have moments, absolutely, and the first moments can last, absolutely, you know, yet finding joy, finding that happiness again, allowing that back in is absolutely possible. What role does fun play in (laughs) folks getting their joy back? Yeah, it is a really big factor, actually. I, I've even just a few months back decided to add that into a group. We've got like, um, you know, weekly topics that are just a bit of a, a suggestion. It's not like you can only post this on Monday and only post this on Thursday. It's just suggestions <laughs> to, to uh, you know, bring people out of their shell and to engage a bit more in the group. And uh, we have the Friday fun days, you know, where people post like some uh, some funny memes or or jokes or whatever and, and there's also a very bizarre sense of humor that um, sometimes you realize only people who've lost somebody would get that and for other people it would be very dark humor and for you when you've experienced it you realize that sometimes sarcasm plays a huge role not always but you know there's a very different sense of humor sometimes where like whoa um but fun is so important because it sort of lightens the load a lot and I like that we all need more fun in life absolutely you know in particular when it comes to the space of grief we do need that lightness when we when we deal with so much heaviness in particular in the first few days and weeks sure yeah Yeah. I I remember you uh had read that you had taken a, a a worldwide trip with your sons yes after Rob's passing uh can you tell me about that yeah, absolutely. I um, So originally, Rob and I had actually planned to take the boys traveling around the world for an entire year. We wanted to have one endless summer and we had a whole itinerary standing. We wanted to start in South America and go through Europe and then come back through Asia and back to Australia. Um, interestingly enough, that probably would have never happened because of COVID, but, you know, Rob passed in June 2018, so we never got to even, you know, get close to planning the trip. We had the idea on the route standing, but we did never get to the actual planning part of it. Yet I had all these images of the places we wanted to go. I had them cut out and put all over our wardrobe and, you know, got this four-door wardrobe. Um and I have the images there are still there, you know, four and a half years later, all the images are still there. And I'm like, I'm not taking them off. Um, not yet. <laughs> and it was just, I thought the boys didn't know about that. So I was quite glad that there wasn't this, oh my God, we can't do this. So for me, instead of going into the, I can't do this, it's one of many, many tools I teach. I went into what can I do? What can I do without Rob? There's no way I would have taken the boys out of school for an entire year and me homeschool them on my own while we're grieving two boys. No way. I could have not done that. I would have not chosen to do that. 
So I went into what can I do on my own? I wouldn't travel to South America on my own with two boys. So I went like, okay, where can I travel on my own? And I remember I was like, I want to visit my godfather in the Canary Islands. I've never been there. I always wanted to go. When can I go? So I contacted him first. He gave me one week where um, his guest houses were not um, booked out. He said, I've got this one week where there's no booking in this guest house. You can have that house with your boys. You can stay with us. I keep it for you. So I started booking my trip around that one week. And then I wanted to leave like roughly a week before that. I'm like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I remember standing at this um, travel agency and she had, you know, one of those huge world maps on her wall. And I looked at the Canary Islands and I looked at Australia and I'm like, what's roughly in the middle? And I went like, Maldives. Yes, we're going to the Maldives. <laughs> I started, you know, doing all these like, yeah. So we started off in the, with one week in the Maldives, which was so beautiful. Stayed in this overwater bungalow, which was always a dream of mine. I've been to the Maldives uh, at 25 and remember being there and thinking, I have to come back and stay in one of those overwater bungalows. That must be so cool. So I did that. I took a boys overwater bungalow. Then we had the week in the Canary Islands or nine days, actually. Then we went to Europe and um, and then we, like, yeah, I was in Germany first for my goddaughter who lives there. Then we went to Paris because my older son wanted to eat escargot in Paris. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. Let's go to Paris and eat escargot. <laughs> Oh, disgusting. But anyway, I would not do that ever again. <laughs> he made me try them. It is so funny. It's a very different story. But anyway, uh, and then we went uh, through Vienna, Austria, like I spent, um, you know, a, a good month there to celebrate Christmas and visit all my friends and family because I'm originally from Austria. And then we went through St. Island, Universal Studios for my older son's birthday and back to Australia. So we had uh, a good two months to travel. And for me, it was this, let's take them away for all these first milestones to come without their dad. You know, the first Christmas, New Year's, both their birthdays in January. I just wanted to do something fun and create a new and happy memories for us rather than sit there and wade through these heavy emotions around Christmas with our dad. I'm like, no, I'm taking you traveling. I'm taking you, you know, I want to show you a world where nobody looks at us as this, oh, here's the widow with the two young boys. I didn't want that sympathy. I didn't want that label. I just wanted joy and lightness for them. So that's what I did. Yeah. It's incredible. Like a, we still talk about yeah, it today. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, mm. it sounds like an amazing trip. So, mm. yeah, that's that sounds like a was a good choice to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Are you okay if we kind of move on to some silly questions? <laughs> absolutely, bring it on. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, the first thing I usually ask everyone is, how do you define fun? Ooh, fun for me is actually just lightness, you know, something that really brings belly laughter and that just takes you out of that daily routine. That that to me is fun, like something usually involving nature or music or people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is your play personality? So we have, Ooh. yeah, 
Did you see the the mess uh, email the 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 list? No. Okay. Yeah, I had said, I said you like the list, but you, yeah. Um. So there's eight play personalities ac yeah. according to Dr. Stuart Brown, who's like at the Institute of Play. Mm -hmm. Uh, there is Joker. Yeah. Uh, kinesthetic. Mm hmm Competitor. Mm hmm Storyteller. Mm hmm Um, director. <laughs> uh, collector. Creative. And... Oh, explorer. Oh, okay. Ah, far out. I feel and like I've got a little bit of a lot of them. I definitely have... I've always been a class clown, so I definitely have to choke her within me. I definitely... I'm a kinesthetic, a kinesthetic, so I love, you know, feeling things, touching things. That That is me. So that's probably the exploring as well. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just love trying new things and going out into nature, just, yeah, exploring. Yeah. I'm the creative exploring choker, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I uh, I th I think most people are more than one, so yeah, good answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What can always cheer you up? Music and my kids, definitely. Music and my kids and my silly cat, who's actually staring at me right now through my office door. It's a glass door, and <laughs> whenever I'm sitting here in an interview, she would stare at me till I let her in, but she's not allowed in my office when I record podcast interviews because she's very loud. <laughs> She'll just like, I'm here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> look at me, look at me. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask you if, if you like cats or dogs because people are cats. often – Definitely. One or the other. Cats, yeah. yeah. I love both, but I'm definitely a cat person. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would say that's me too. I love both. <laughs> yeah. Cats. Yeah. What, what, and you mentioned music. What kind of music do you like? Anything like South American, sort of Shakira. I, I love sort of dancing music, like some happy music. That, that is me. Yeah. Something that you can just, loudly sing along to and dance that's that's me <laughs> are you a uh, more of a cook or a baker oh so when Rob was still around I was definitely the baker and he was the cook and now I'm all of the above but now I'm more the cook actually yeah that has changed because now yeah I've become very creative all of a sudden because, yeah, Rob was always cooking. He loved it. It was his passion, you know. And then when he was gone, I had to dig that passion out of me, let me put it that way. That's putting it in the most positive way I can. <laughs> but but it, it became a, a challenge that you were up for, so, right? Yes. Yeah, beautiful way of putting it, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love though that both my boys have chosen um, food tech as an elective at school and they both started experimenting at home and especially the last few weeks my younger one has often said to me mom do you want me to cook dinner tonight and I'm like 
yes, please, I love it. it. It is so amazing that they really, they're really getting into it and he's making steaks and he's learning how long to cook it and all that. So it's really, yeah, quite creative in his cooking and I love that. I'm like, yep, you're definitely coming after that, not me. So bring it on. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. How, how old are your sons now? They're now 15 and 13. Oh. Yeah. Love Growing it. Up. One mom of two teenagers. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what is something that's making you happy this week? Oh, wow. I have some very, very close friends, and I had a most beautiful conversation with uh, one of my really, really close friends. She actually lives in Austria. It's a funnier thing because I'm originally from Austria, but we've never met in person. We met online through a course and I'm actually going to see her for the first time ever this summer, like European summer when we're going over in June, July. So we had the most beautiful conversation and uh, there was such depth and spiritual growth that we shared with each other and I just love that. I'm a quality time person. I love the one-on-one connection. I love when I can go deep in conversation with people. And that makes me really, it just really fulfills me. It's just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to ask if you were like a, a group kind of like person mm-hmm. or if you're more of like a, a, a like small group. Yeah. Like- yeah. It's really funny when it comes to work. I'm definitely more of a group person. I much prefer doing group work to one on one. But when it comes to personal, I'm definitely more the one on one person rather than big groups. So I much prefer having coffee with one friend than going to a big party where it's like 50 of my friends. It really is, yeah, much, yeah, much prefer that. It's interesting. I never thought about that. That business and work is, is completely polar opposite for me when it comes to that. Hmm. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for the insight about me. (laughs) (laughs) It's great when we learn something about ourselves. Like, oh. Yeah, I love it. Nice discovery. (laughs) Uh, What would be your dream vacation? Maldives. (laughs) I don't have to think about that. Absolutely. I'd go back there any day. And my boys would say the exact same thing. We loved it there. It was our most favorite stop. Nice. I the pictures look amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. When's the last time you laugh laugh so hard it hurt? Oh. Oh my god. I can't remember. Isn't that sad? Oh my god. I, I know that I laughed a lot lately. I remember that, but I don't remember that real belly laughter as in it hurts. I don't remember that. Um, that would have, oh, shivers. That is probably two, three years ago. Oh, I need more of that. Yeah. Thanks for rubbing that in. <laughs> it's well, really funny, yeah, because I do laugh a lot, but this real, truly, like, absolutely belly laugh. No, actually, no, that's not true. I have I have one friend also in Austria, interestingly enough. It sounds like I don't have friends in Australia, not true. But um, there's this one friend in Austria. Um, we, we've known each other for a really long time. I'm talking like 20, at least 20 plus years now. And the weirdest thing is when her and I pick up the phone, we don't even have to say one word. We instantly burst into laughter. It's ridiculous. I can't even explain what it is. 
so much so that we used to work in the same office, two different companies, but related and same office uh, building. And every time we got together, people rolled their eyes and went like, here we go again, chicken party. Because we just laughed so much and so loud that everybody just said, oh, here we go again, chicken party. And we got each other the nickname Chica and Chica. I still call her Chica now rather than her real name. And she calls me Chica. <laughs> it's because of the chicken party. So, yeah, no, I, I actually do laugh a lot with her. And that is definitely always like real deep, very funny and without any reason laughter. So I love that. I should give her credit. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that That's good to have a friend that you're just like, mm. literally nothing has to happen. Exactly. We don't even speak a word. We pick up and even my sons roll, roll their eyes at us now. But she's on the oh, phone and they literally say to me, Chica, and I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so funny. I love it. <laughs> What's your favorite mode of transportation? Motorbike. Oh. I used to be a bike rider. I was a biker chick before I had the boys and I sold my last motorbike after my second son, I still kept it throughout the first pregnancy and went back on the bike afterwards. And then the second pregnancy, I I knew it was time to let go. You know, family life is not really like it doesn't really work with the motorbike. And I always said when the boys are old enough, I actually thought when the boys are old enough, Rob and I would both get a motorbike and have one on the back each. And then when he passed, I'm like, maybe I need to get a trike. But yeah, I'm not back on the bike. Um yet it was just not practical but yeah not a bike is definitely i love it that's this sense of freedom mm. it's very cool mm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and daring like well, so many people mm. are scared of them so yeah. oh i love it that's beautiful yeah what's your favorite holiday Somewhere near the water, always near the water. I love, love, love being near the water. And there's also something really beautiful about being in the mountains, high up, beautiful view. But for me, I would always choose the ocean, like, for example, the Maldives, bringing bringing it back to that, over being in the Austrian Alps or Switzerland or whatever. It is just, I don't know. And it's always sort of south for me, hardly ever north. Mm. And as much as I love places like Norway, for example, absolutely beautiful. But when I lived in Europe, I would rather go down towards Italy or Greece rather than up north. Although there are so many different places, so many beautiful places in the world, but ah, the world is just full of amazing places still to be discovered. So who knows? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So you're more into like the warmth the warmth in the mm, beach <laughs> absolutely yeah I'm not a winter person I well that's one, one of many reasons why I moved from Austria to Australia you know I'm so not a winter person I'm actually looking forward to going back to Austria in summer for once because the boys always wanted to go to the snow which fair enough because they didn't grow up with the snow so they wanted to see it and I was like no I want an endless summer <laughs> yeah for sure yeah how long ago did you move to Australia so I was um, 25 when I first came here. That was in 97. Whoops, I just gave away my age. Yep, don't do the math. Just kidding. <laughs> um, 
And then in 2004, I moved here for good. So it was, uh, yeah, I was 31, just about to turn 32 when I moved here for good and never looked back. Yeah. I met Rob 10 months after I moved here. So there was a reason why I had to move to this country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just followed a really strong calling. I always had the feeling that this is where I need to move to. It wasn't just a go and visit Australia. There was always this real strong pull to move to Australia. I couldn't explain why. Yeah. And then I did. And then I knew why. <laughs> then it was like, oh, it all makes sense. Yeah. Oh, it was you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. If you had a superpower, what would it be? Reading people's mind. Hmm. Why, why would you want to read people's mind? I think it would be amazing. <laughs> Probably also scary sometimes, but it would be amazing to know what people actually think. It would make communication so much more straightforward and easier and more honest. And honesty is one of my biggest values. So I just love it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. How about a couple of e either ors? Are mm -hmm. you a night owl or a morning lark? Night owl. <laughs> Instantly <laughs> night owl for sure. Oh, definitely yeah. night owl. <laughs> yeah. What what do you what do you like to do at, at night? What do you like about night? I love it because it's that absolute peacefulness. Night time for me has really become this absolute me time, you know, because when I became a sole parent, um, this was the only time where I got absolute me time, just peace and quiet, just me, no responsibility. That that's what night time represented for me. So I think that's why I still really, really enjoy it. It's, um, it's that absolute peace for me. Yeah, just me, nobody else. Sure, yeah. Mm. Salty or sweet? If I had to choose, I'd go salty. There's definitely, you know, something nice in both of it, but if I had to choose, I'd definitely go salty over sweet. Mm. Uh, fiction or nonfiction? Hmm. See, I'm, I'm, I like the balance in it, but again, if I had to choose, I'd go nonfiction. Yeah. Uh, super salad. Salad. Yeah. Coffee or tea? Coffee. <laughs> how, how do you take your coffee? Oh, my favorite is a macadamia latte. Ooh. When I walk into my favorite coffee shop, she's already making it for me. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, I couldn't even order it this morning, and she's like, macadamia latte. She she told the guy at the register straight away, it's like, macadamia latte. She just looked over at him and was already making it. I'm like, oh, thank you. How did you know? I'm a regular. <laughs> like, You're I love so it. predictable, Marie. I'm like, yeah, I know. Love it. Mm. That sounds it. delicious. I've never yeah. seen that in the United States. Yeah, there's literally in our town, there's literally two uh, cafes that have macadamia milk. I love it. If I can't get that, I go for soy latte or lactose-free latte. But, yeah, I don't like regular milk. So, yeah, mm. macadamia is perfect. It's just creamy. 
Well, yeah, I imagine it would be very, like, because it's, like, it, it has a good amount of fat, like, macadamia nuts mm. do. So I imagine yeah. it'd be, like, really nice and, and a little bit It sweet. is creamy, but not fatty, you know? That's yeah. the thing. Yeah, and it's got a touch of sweetness and not too much. It's just mm -hmm. perfect. Yeah. Picture perfect. I want a coffee now. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about let's do some word associations how about sure. um what do you think of when you think of stars stars mm -hmm. oh you know the most beautiful memory popped up instantly when you asked me that i remember when i first came to australia it was end of 97 and um I met some really crazy people working in the Hard Rock Cafe in Sydney and they went on a road trip and they said, you want to come? And I said, absolutely, because I didn't know anyone in Sydney. And so when they went on a road trip and they were crazy and talking about all these road trips they did, I'm like, sure enough, I'm coming along. And we went from Sydney down to Melbourne. So it was this crazy road trip when we only had seven days to come back by New Year's. And we stopped in the middle of the road and it was nighttime and we all laid on the floor and looked up and the entire, that was just, oh my God, billions of stars. It was such crystal clear vision and I'll never forget that. It was the most amazing, yeah, sky that I've ever seen. And we all laid on the floor and just looked up laughing it was so it was such a moment of freedom and joy and yeah so when you said stars that instantly popped into my head incredible thank you oh yeah. I haven't thought about that for so long thank you <laughs> I love that it sounds beautiful yeah yeah what do you think of when you think of the forest mm, the forest so what came up for me was I um we had a dog for about three years okay. i did unfortunately or fortunately for for all of us including the dog i did rehome her after a while because it got too much for me as a sole parent running my own business all of that you know it became way too much um it was a promise that we had made together to the boys but then i was on my own you know living up to that promise that i knew it should have been with rob not on my own but anyway my memory of that is Lilu, that was our dog. I would go to the forest with her almost every day. She dragged me through this little opening one day and I thought, where are you going? You dragged me right into the bush. But when we came out to the opening, there was this almost like a hidden path and it became my enchanted forest. I always called it, I'm going to the enchanted forest. And we went there almost every day because it's literally – 100 meters from from where I sit right now is the entrance to that enchanted forest and we would go there and there was this creek and she would learn how to swim in there and I would throw sticks and she would run her zoomies and go completely nuts and that was my my little nature time that I had every single day nature has become such a huge part of my healing journey so Lilu just dragged me there every day <laughs> and I loved it yeah my little oh, forest she, story <laughs> yeah she did you such a, a service <laughs> yeah she did absolutely we were meant to meet yeah for, for sure yeah what do you think of when you think of 
money. Money, yeah. Money to me is such an exchange. It's just an energy exchange, you know. It's something that I have really, really learned to appreciate. And I feel the more money I have, the more I can do good in the world. I love paying things forward. I love shouting people coffees and meals or giving people presents, whatever, uh, going on beautiful holidays with the boys. All of that costs money. And I, yeah, money truly has become my friend. I didn't have a great money story growing up, but now I'm like, yep, yeah, I'm loving money and I'm absolutely okay with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's really, yeah, it's such a disservice that so many, so many people have bad money stories growing up. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. All right. How about last, last thing? Um, do you know tr- two truths and a lie? Yes. I, I, you're just really interesting. So I, I just really want to play two truths and a lie with you. <laughs> oh my so, goodness. You I'm think- not really good with that game because I'm such an honest person. I can't lie. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah it'll just mean that you're going to tell us two great stories (laughs) okay so you want to hear two truths and a lie from me now yeah yeah okay I let me think about that hmm Ah, far out. I can't do this. I'm not a liar. I just, I'm trying to come up with a lie and tell it all casually, but I just can't do it. You have to play a different game with me. I'm not, I'm not a good liar. I can't come up with this. Like, it was, it's really just an excuse for you to tell me, tell me two more stories. Your your life sounds really interesting. So I'm just like, oh, Oh, what else? That's so funny. Can I, can I get her to tell me about? <laughs> mm. Okay, I've got something. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna do that. Um, I used to skydive twice. I used to bungee jump once, and I used to work as a flight attendant. Mm. I'm. I don't know. I'm just gonna say you haven't bungee jumped I don't know she's you're good <laughs> that's true <laughs> I would never ever in my life bungee jump no way it's so funny I did jump out of a plane twice but I would never bungee jump isn't that weird I, you know what uh, there's other people that I know that are exactly the same they'd like they're like oh, yeah I would go skydiving but never bungee jump <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know if that's, there you go. that's yeah, that's just like why I was just like, hmm, I bet you actually are. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, what made you want uh skydive? I always thought it would be so cool. I don't know. It was just something that I, um, well, the, the funniest thing is I actually never thought about, I, I didn't come up with the idea, but when I first came to Sydney, in 97, my first job, it was a cash in hand job, was um, a uh, 
a painter. I was a painter because, you know, one of the crazy guys that I've been traveling with, his girlfriend's dad had a painting business and I was looking for any job at that stage. And she's like, oh, my dad could use help. I, I only did it for a couple of weeks. Oh, my God, I'm so not an early morning person. And painting fences in Sydney, oh, my God, the first huntsman. I don't know if you know huntsman, but the oh, big spiders. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't last long, let me put it that way. But it was fun in, in such that I was the only girl in the whole group. So the guys always treated me really special and it was really nice being the princess in a bunch of guys, uh, amidst a bunch of guys. And and one of them said, uh, you know, we're going skydiving, you want to come? And I was like, yeah, sure, sounds like fun, I'll do it. You know, it was like this <laughs> crazy traveller back then and young, free and single, so I couldn't care less. And, uh, yeah, so I went ahead and I loved it so much that I went again because they had this offer. If you would go again within two or four months or whatever, then you'd get it half price. I'm like, yeah, I'm going again. It was fun, yeah. you know. <laughs> then I talked my flatmate into it and got him and a couple of other guys to come along. And, yeah, that's that's how I got to do it twice. Nice. Uh, do you have any crazy stories about being a flight attendant? Oh, how many hours have we got? Um, <laughs> well, the first the first thing I came up, it's like I've been working as a flight attendant for about three and a bit years, and my older cousin, she'd been working as a flight attendant for way over 10 years, and I remember telling her my first few stories, what I had experienced, you know, as this young flight attendant, and she looked at me, it's like, you have experienced so many more crazy stories than I have in my 10 years. This is ridiculous. You know, like I remember we had an emergency landing once on, on a Greek Island because we had a stork fly into our turbine, uh, into the turbine while we were <laughs> taking off. So we had to do an emergency landing. And, okay. and I still remember seeing that one wing of, of that stork on the floor thinking, Oh, the rest was in the turbine. And then like, Things like that. I remember we had a uh, fire on board once, but it was not really fire. It was somebody just somebody smoking on the toilet, but it activated a fire alarm and, and and having to prepare the cabin for emergency landing when we had that, like thinking, and I was the second most senior person on the flight. So all the other flight attendants were even younger than me as in work experience. And I remember having this smile on my face thinking, all the passengers are looking at me. If the flight attendant is worried, then there's something really wrong. So better fake that smile. And in my and my heart was pounding. I was so scared. And it was just, there were so many stories. But one of my favorite ones was when I started working, like flying long range, we were going down to South Africa. And from there, we often had flights down to Harare or Cape Town. And when we flew to Cape Town, uh, the pilots often requested, had a special request to do an extra loop to fly over the Table Mountain. And I have so many beautiful memories of that, you know, when all the service was done and the flight attendants were all just sitting in business class, like what was usually business class was empty for those short range flights. And we were just sitting there just looking out on the Table Mountain and, oh, I've taken so many pictures of that. It was really beautiful. My first flight to Johannesburg, we... We went on a private safari and slept in safari tents and you could hear all the animals at nighttime. And uh, I was there with um, the co-pilot who had also had his very first flight on long range and another flight attendant that I've known, like we had common friends. So, um, and he's like, do you want to come? Let's do this. It was just adventure. You know, it was just the three of us when we were sitting and 
drinking a bottle of red wine at night and playing cards and sharing stories. It was so beautiful, just real adventure, freedom, you know, going to on horse riding safaris, you know, seeing a hippo with her baby. And I, I have countless memories of being with Lidaton and then I only did it for three years. So it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Sounds sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I so enjoyed our conversation and thank you. I and the work that you're doing is really amazing and I I'm glad that you there someone like you is there to help others to through through you know their journeys through their grief cuz it's yeah. you know yeah. Thank you so much. I really I really enjoyed our conversation. It really took me down memory lane on so many different avenues than I would have expected today. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank yeah, you for having me. You're very me. welcome. Where can the audience find you? I think the easiest is just my website, which is mariealessi.com. So it's my first name, last name, .com. Or even if you just Google loving life after loss, you'll find me all over the place. I'm, I'm quite high up there on the <laughs> ranking, which I'm quite happy about. And, uh, yeah, I think the best part is, if you don't know where to start, you just go to my website. There's an option to book in a brief chat with me and I'm more than happy to point you in the right direction, you know, and that doesn't always have to be our group or our work that we offer. There's so many different opportunities to take healing into your own hands and I'd be more than happy to just have a quick chat, reach out. It's it's tricky. I get that. It's often the hardest step, but uh also the most rewarding when you do get started on your journey and I can promise you healing is possible. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Yeah, and I definitely, yeah, I hope that people do reach out to you and, yeah, and thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs>